Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Grid is for Squares. I'm Vince. I'm Amy. This is our podcast where we talk about uh, homestead. And smoke pod. And smoke pods. <laughs> um, today we are smoking. What are we smoking? Oh, today we're smoking Blue Dream. Blue Dream. Out of a steamroller, not uh-huh. our regular pipe. It's still a nice glass pipe. I think we named it the Snapdragon. Sure. Um, yeah, and Blue Dream's one of our favorites. Mm-hmm. I think we smoked that last time too, right? Probably. Um, so how, how are you doing, babe? Oh, you know, I'm, uh, balancing, um, informed outrage with sad disengagement with the world, which, you know, you gotta have a healthy mix of the two. Yeah. How are you doing? Oof, it's rough. It's real rough out there. Uh, it is, yeah, only more overwhelming and... Just bleak. Bleak just every single day. Yeah. The bleak world. Like dreading the election, dreading what could happen, but then also dreading that like even if what we want happens, even if Trump doesn't get reelected, like how much is really gonna change? Obviously we have to get Trump out of office. That is number one goal. But that's but not like, gonna fix climate that's change. That's not gonna fix climate that's not change. Gonna fix coronavirus, really. It's not gonna fix police brutality. Yeah. It's not gonna fix it will keep things from getting precipitously worse, but I'm not sure it's going to make anything better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just, it's real bleak. Ugh. Definitely keep paying attention to what's going on out there. You got to know. Try to be positive in your own world and be patient with everybody. Yeah. Like, I, I hope people are being more patient with me. I mean, you bear the brunt of it because we're quarantine buddies, hmm. but, like, I know I'm not fully my my usual self. You know, your usual chipper self. My usual chipper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. we're all doing our best. We're all doing our best, and just be patient with everyone out there. Give them compassion and love. So, yeah, we could talk more about that, but we won't because if you care to know, you already know. This is a podcast where we talk about world events and our feelings about said world events <laughs> well thanks I mean, for listening see you next week yeah it is I, I feel like it's important to just kind of process what's happening amidst this major project we have going on right mm-hmm. like you have a full-time job i have a part-time freelancing job and full-time like artistic creative endeavors i definitely work eight hours a day i don't Mm -hmm. get paid for eight hours a day but i work eight hours a day for sure and we're doing this we're doing the property we're doing this five hours away and it's sure and it's five hours away but then in amidst all of that and everybody has their own full lives that they're still trying to balance and then in the meantime just like all the shit is happening in the background in the foreground you know Mm -hmm. it's but that that part's probably what you tuned in for, like hearing about our <laughs> our homestead, and we are still really. I mean, that's the silver lining. That's the the one light in our lives. We've got each other. Yeah. We've got our dog, and we've got this this dream, this mm-hmm. this homestead. A lot of people, I think we say this on every episode, that a lot of people who thought we were a little crazy at the beginning, more and more are coming around. And I think every every new crazy fucked up thing that happens in the news is is kind of just more affirmation that this is 
a good thing to be doing. This is a smart move on our part. Yeah. So yep. what are we working on? What's our big dream right now? Are we talking about yurts? Yurts. Yeah. Today we are talking about yurts. Um, yeah. We've mentioned those a few times. A yurt on the property. It's been a general yeah. dream. Um, right. But we haven't really talked much about what exactly a yurt is, where they come from, how they work, um, and why we want to build one on sure. our land. Yurts are getting more popular these days. Um White homesteaders, white campground owners, glamp ground owners. Um, and yeah. so I think it's important to talk about the cultures that invented yurts um, and what we can learn from them. Because Karen on Airbnb did not invent <laughs> yurts. No way. Um, and, you know, it's a fine line between appreciation and appropriation. Um, and I hope that there's a way for us to learn from the wisdom of people in the world who have figured this shit out before us um, without disrespecting or appropriating their culture, you know, to like build a yurt and appreciate the history and the culture that went into creating it. And recognizing just the sheer utility of it is way better than the stupid boxes that we build today. And we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, you know, the, the true testament the homage is that you know we're choosing to build this structure because it's the best for the land the best right. for the space and um well we'll get into that a little later yeah start with what yurts are yeah right? start with the history um so in the simplest terms a yurt is a round tent um like a lot of cultures out there have round houses and round tents um, but the yurt specifically is a traditional dwelling for nomadic groups in Mongolia and Central Asia. So it's made to be broken down and taken around. The word yurt um, actually just means home in Turkish. That's what yurt means is home. Um, and it's also sometimes called a ger, which just means home in Mongolian. So yurt is Turkish, ger is Mongolian? Yeah, and they both just mean home. Cool. Yeah, I think it's really meaningful that like it's such a like traditional basic part of their culture and who they are that it's synonymous with the word home the thing predates the word describing the thing right. the language is built around the earth the earth is so <laughs> exactly. strong structurally it can support an entire <laughs> an language entire language language family yeah um that's cool yeah so they're old the oldest known record of a yurt um in this case a turkish yurt was over 2,000 years ago wow. from the writings of Herodotus. Cool. So that's the age of the thing that we want to build on the property, Herodotus. Yeah, so they're time-tested and true. <laughs> yeah, um, and Genghis Khan commanded his entire empire out of a yurt. Um, apparently his yurt was rumored to require 22 oxen to move it. Like a yurt mansion. Like a yurt mansion. Leave it to Genghis Khan. Yeah, they really spread, didn't they? The Mongolian yeah. Empire. Yeah, they sure did. Yurts across Eurasia. Yurts across Eurasia. <laughs> to this day, I think a lot of Mongolians still live in Gers, right? Yeah. Even in Ulaanbaatar is the capital. It's mm -hmm. traditionally been a nomadic capital. It like used to move around this central valley. It didn't have a set location. It's fascinating. Um, these days it is pretty fixed yeah. in where it is. Um, but the people in Ulaanbaatar live in yurts. Yeah, there's like a huge yurt district um, like outside 
the center of the city. Yeah, there's like a downtown with like a few high rises mm -hmm. and brownstones and stuff. But then a ton of people still live in yurts in the capital city. It's crazy. A lot of people, like in a lot of places in the world, in Mongolia, a lot of people are moving from rural areas into urban areas. Climate change is largely to blame, particularly in Mongolia. They're traditionally nomadic herders, but their herds can't survive anymore because there's no more grass, because there's no more rain. So in Mongolia, climate change has meant like desertification, more dust storms. Yeah, and I think they also made a pretty awkward leap from being like a Soviet satellite to being like a free market economy mm. super quickly. Yeah. And what happens is what often happens, which is that like a few rich people now control most of the herds and most of the real estate and they're overgrazing and... Now the traditional nomads who only own like a couple herds can't survive and that's why they have to move to the city, but they still want to live in there. Yeah, it's just a shit that show blows. everywhere. Fucking capitalism and climate change. But that's not the yurt's fault, right? No, the yurt is, the I mean, it's, it's admirable. Like it clearly is important to them because they're still living in, they bring the yurts to the capital city. They've yeah. moved off of the step. They've moved into the city, but they still want to live in their yurts. Damn. That's how important they are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they can't take that cool. away from them. Yeah. They can take away the herds and the, the entire lifestyle. Right. Like riding across the open plains on a horse sounds so fucking cool. Yeah. You bring your house with you. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, so the most important aspect of tr the traditional yurt, um, like the reason that it comes from nomadic people, is that it's portable, which, you know, is pretty important for nomads. By definition, yeah. clutch. Yeah. Um, traditionally, yurts can be set up and dismantled in like 30 minutes. Wow. They're also ideal for the climate in the steppe of Central Asia, um, it's not a very nice place to live climate-wise already, mm. even before climate change. It's yeah. got really extreme temperature range. It's really cold in the winter and really hot in the summer um, and super strong windy, winds because it's a grassland with no trees. Wow. It's also yeah, more economical to heat and cool around space than a square oh, space. Oh, because the corners kind mm -hmm. of waste space. Yep. Yeah. Those corners would really catch wind too. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's part of why it's important to have a round shape in the wind so to sum it up traditional yurts are uh, some kind of wooden lattice structure mm -hmm. um wooden rafters for a roof yeah. usually some kind of opening on the top so you can have a fire on the inside yeah let the smoke out and uh covered with layers of like felt or fur mm -hmm. um something like that yeah uh and yurts and gares aren't the only traditional round house around tent um, here in America, you're probably familiar with the teepee. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is also a round tent that's super portable for nomadic tribes. And for the plains. Uh-huh, yeah. It's it's interesting how people mm -hmm. met similar problems with similar solutions. They were following the herds. Yeah, they yeah, were, exactly. They needed to carry the teepees with them. Yeah, so the teepee is used by a lot of different indigenous tribes, but like the Dakota, the Cree, the Crow, the Blackfoot, um, and yeah, other tribes mainly in the Great Plains. A lot in common with yurts, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Not only is it round and easy to put up and take down, it's good in high wind, high temperature variations, um, and, you know, made from fabric stretched around wooden poles. Mm -hmm. Just uh, in a cone. And so you can still have the 
smoke escape through right, the roof. Right, right. Yeah, so obviously the, di- the design is a little bit different, but yeah, it's interesting that people on different continents came up with similar solutions. Mm-hmm. And a good design endures for all time. Yeah. So what about here in California? Uh, what did Native people live in? Um, well, in California, um, some indigenous people lived in wigwams, also called wikiups, which is fun to say, um, which is also a traditional round home. Um, wigwams aren't covered with cloth, though, like yurts or teepees. They're usually covered with reeds or bark. Now, there are like a wide variety of ways that different tribes constructed these, pronounced these, used these. Um, so I don't mean to leave anyone out. I'm just trying to cover as much ground as possible. And there's a lot of round house ground to cover because yeah. it actually turned out to be pretty popular with mm-hmm. all kinds of indigenous people. Um, yeah. We're just talking about our corner of the world where there were uh, Miwok and Awani. Yeah, the Awanichi people of the Yosemite area. Um, those are the people who are indigenous to the land that our property is actually in. Um, they also lived in roundhouses. Um, they called them mucha or omacha or ochum, um, depending on the source. And they're kind of like bark teepees, um, but they're round and they have a hole in the middle for, in the roof for smoke to escape, just like yurts. Um, the Awanichi people also had bigger roundhouses for group gatherings, which were half dug in the ground. What? Uh-huh. So like a dugout? Roundhouses like a yurt and half dug in houses like what we want to do are uh-huh. the two kinds of buildings that we want to build so well we're still contending cool. with the same forces of nature right? yeah i mean climate change might be making fires worse and the temperature a little warmer but overall i imagine it was pretty mm-hmm. much the same yeah if anything it's like exaggerating the swings i think it's also sure. potential to get colder in the winter mm-hmm. and so we're really trying to design for the worst i don't think we can completely eliminate the fire risk and i don't think we should because that's what our land was made for right it was made to burn yeah yeah it would destroy anything that we built but it wouldn't destroy the land like it would if anything be a little bit good for it yeah lest we forget it's not really our land is it right yeah yeah um so yeah we're trying to We've got a couple experimental structures going that are kind of in theme for the area. We yeah. Dug out in the year. Well, and it also just sort of fits our entire ethos of why do what everybody in the Western world is doing. I should say all the white people in the Western world are doing. Well, in because, the West, it's just all because, square houses and, you yeah. know, corners. And it's like green grass lawns. Like, why? Everywhere. It does yeah. It's not appropriate for every place. You're just doing it because that's what we decided that civilization is, Mm -hmm. is square houses with grass lawns. So we got to think outside the box. You got to... Yes, literally. Yeah. No box houses. Totally. The grid is for cubes. (laughs) Brown spaces are also more efficient, like we mentioned, for heating and cooling. Uh, more efficient in the use of materials. I suppose so, huh? Like 15 to 20% less cool. materials per square foot um, and safer in high winds. And the acoustics are better too, oh, yeah? which is actually something that's kind of important to me. But there's also something more intangible about a round space being feeling like right, you yeah, know? Yeah, way more open. Yeah. There's no corner to yeah. hide in or feel trapped in. Yeah, I mean, not to get too like woo-woo, but... <laughs> There is something sort of grounding about a round space. 
You know, I mean, nature doesn't have very many squares or sharp corners or grids. Yeah. Nature is very round and organic. Yeah. So I think if we want to live in harmony with nature, a round dwelling is a really in-theme choice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good choice. So how long have yurts been in America? How did yurts come to America? Well, in the early 1960s, a hippie from Maine named Bill Copperthwaite Uh, He read a National Geographic article about Mongolian gares and got inspired. He was all about simple handmade living, um, so it really fit in with his whole deal. He was also a math professor, I guess, and he made building a yurt a math project for his students. Cool. And I'm trying to imagine exactly... Do you know how old they were? What do you mean? Like, what what level of Professor. Oh, at a university. At a university, okay. yeah. Not like an elementary school professor. <laughs> you may call me Dr. Copperthwaite. Yeah, sure. And in 2004, so he basically popularized yurts. He sort of spread the word about yurts in America. Um, but it took until 2004. So he read this article, this National Geographic article in the 60s and started building yurts and talking about yurts. But it took him until 2004 to finally publish a book after his lifetime of encouraging handmade living in yurts. Um, I think it's called A Handmade Life in Search of Simplicity. Um, So sounds like somebody right up our alley. I I might want to get his book and read it. Yeah, let's check that out. Yeah. Uh, So in... 1978, this company Pacific Yurts became the first to manufacture them on a large scale, um, which kind of brought it to the masses, paved the way for it to become popular uh, at ski resorts and campgrounds. Yeah, so I did a lot of research on where we want to buy our yurt kit. At first, we were thinking about actually just building our own yurt from scratch. Yeah, at first, I definitely wanted to design and build it for ourselves right because that's that's my entire ethos right there yeah exactly but when you really start breaking down everything that goes into it yeah well and it it's simple but that also means that everything is super important and if you get one thing a little off like the whole thing won't quite work and we'll have to source all of the materials including the like felt covering which if it's a 16 foot yurt means that the felt covering is going to be at least like 30 feet wide or something how would that even fit through your sewing machine it wouldn't and how would it even fit in the living room oh as god. i'm sewing it yeah. it just the more that we thought about it the more we were like okay oh my god and those angles yeah where it wraps over the roof uh-huh. you need to be a professor to figure that shit out <laughs> yeah so Although we loved the idea of building our own yurt from scratch, we're like, okay, maybe if we find a small company where they hand make the yurts, they've been doing this for years, so, like, they know what they're doing, we don't have to, like, bumble along and figure it out for ourselves. We can let somebody who, this is their whole life and what they do, have figured it out for us. We'll still be building it, like, we'll get the kit, but we still have to put it together, and we're designing the deck and everything that goes around it. I, th- I think it's the right way to go. Yeah, I'm happy with this compromise. And it's a lot less daunting and it puts it on a better timeline mm-hmm. to think that really we just need to build a platform for it and the kit will take care of everything else. I think I could do it, but yeah, I do recognize like getting the material for the lattice 
and the tension ring and the rafters and the everything would be probably more than the kit itself. Yeah, I don't think it would save money to build it ourselves. I don't think it would certainly not save time, but I don't think it would save money either. It would just be the satisfaction of a job done by hand. And I think Mm -hmm. we're going to be putting so much work into it anyway that we're going to get that satisfaction regardless. Yeah. But, you know, it's whatever makes you happy in this life. You should do whatever whatever seems best to you. If you want to build it from scratch, you should build it from scratch. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, it's just like this way, you know, it's still going to be a lot of work. But then hopefully it will free mm-hmm. you up to do some of the projects that you want to do, you yeah. know, and not make the year the next two years worth of yeah, a project. right. We got other priorities. Yeah. So you started with Pacific yurts, right? Because they're like the big one when you were doing your research. I did, yeah. They're sort of the, I don't want to say bargain, but the, the biggest company, the most mass the big produced. big box. Yeah, kind of. The I big mean, house. The they're big still tent. a cool company, um, but they're definitely the first stop. Um, they do have this really cool like 3D yurt builder tool on their website where you can add different features and customize the color and stuff. And then it, it'll like, you know, spin the mock-up of the yurt you designed. Cool. And we'll put a little person in there, there, a little dog model. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was cool to at least play around with to get a better idea of what kind of stuff we want um, that then I can apply to other companies. Sorry, Pacific. Um, but definitely if you're looking at getting a yurt and price is an important <laughs> piece of the puzzle for you, Pacific Yurts is definitely a good place to start. Um, But there's a lot of other smaller companies out there too. Um, Look into Colorado Yurt Company, Rainier Yurts, Blue Ridge Yurts. Yeah, just a lot of it comes down to where you are and logistics is a big part of the decision that you make. Pacific Yurts is a great place to start, but if you're in Maine, maybe you you're not going to go with Pacific Yurts. You should find someone a little closer to home, right? Right, yeah. So I started realizing that so much of our budget is going to go to transporting the yurt, even though it's in a kit. It's still like a lot of big pieces that's Individual really heavy. Individual pieces have to be like 16 feet long, right? I mean, I don't know exactly, but... <laughs> Maybe 8 feet. The math the radius, my department. The radius, not the diameter, right? right? Yeah, exactly. But still, yeah, yeah. it's a eight lot feet. of yeah, stuff exactly. that you gotta, you gotta deliver. Right. So I started looking into what the closest yurt company to our place in Mariposa would be, thinking that we can just, you know, instead of paying to have it delivered or flying across the country and then driving it back or something insane like that, if it's really close, then we can just hopefully go up with the van and the Possibly. Subaru. But it's... At the worst case, rent a U-Haul for one day, you know. That's like three hours north Mm -hmm. of us. So it would be a long day, but it would totally be a doable one-day truck rental. Is it over the Sierras? Is it on 395? It's sort of lateral to us, I feel like. We wouldn't have to cross the the pass. No, I don't think so. No, it's about three hours north of us, but also in the Sierra foothills. Okay. So yeah, so that's cool. I found a place that's fairly close. Um, Living in Tent. I think we mentioned it last time or the time before, but that's the company that we're looking at. Yes, Living in Tent. tent. It was started by a couple of guys from Maine who then moved to California and have been making yurts for about five years, it looks like. Cool. Um, And they use the same tarp material as Pacific, they said, but they use bamboo instead of fir or pine for the supports, which is lighter and more sustainable. Cool. So hopefully... 
that will be a good addition. They say that their yurts go up faster than other leading companies, that they've made it simpler. You said something like two hours? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's if you've done it a couple times, I'm sure, but... Um... I mean, I think they can do it in like 45 minutes or wow. something, but right. that's what they do all day, cool. every day. So yeah, it sounds pretty, pretty appealing in theory, sustainable. Mm-hmm. They're using bamboo. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, what does something like that run? Well, it depends on the company um, and the size of the yurt, of course. Uh, yurts typically come in 12, 16, 20, 24, and 30 foot diameters. Um, the smallest, cheapest yurt, like a 12 footer that you can get is probably like $5,000. And the biggest, fanciest yurt, the 30 footers are like $30,000. Wow. Yeah. That's so huge. 30 feet. Yeah. You know, we're looking at a 16 foot. Yeah. So we're looking the 16 foot we're looking at from living in tent is has a base price of six thousand dollars um but then we want to add some additional features like insulation for you the know a door wall, you know, well no i think one door comes with it <laughs> comes standard with a door possibly additional windows i think for like six hundred dollars you can upgrade to like a fancier like cedar door uh-huh. i might be down for that yeah yeah add an extra window mm-hmm. does it come with one window by default or no i think it comes with three windows by oh default. really Two, two or three. Two? Okay. Yeah. Got to get a dome opener. That's a couple hundred bucks, oh, I guess. Sure. But you have to be able to open up the roof. You don't think I could reach it? I think it. in order to open it, you need oh, to have that hinge. Okay. I think you can't open it even if you just push on it. I don't think you can open yeah, it without the dome also, opener. Like, at least 10 feet off the ground. Okay. You're tall, but you're not that yeah. tall. <laughs> so a couple add-ons. Like um, get north of 8,000 a little bit. I think maybe like 7,500. Okay. Which is and isn't a lot of money, right? Like It's not a lot of money compared to a house. Right. But it's not exactly a house. It's a lot more money than a tent. Than a tent. But it's more than just a tent. But it's a, a lot more than a tent. It's, it's pretty much itself. It's it's more security than the greenhouse, right? I mean, just in terms of like weatherproofing, the greenhouse isn't meant to be an occupied structure. No, it's not a dwelling, yeah. Right. This yurt is a real step up. Yeah, well, we can move in, you know, a couch and a bed. Yeah. I know we have a bed in the greenhouse. And but when it rains, it doesn't real... rain on you. <laughs> and hopefully it doesn't get, you know, 10,000 degrees yeah. in the summer. And, you know, it'll be a nice place for people who visit us to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It'll be good. So It'll... it's worth the investment, but there's always the extra, you know, we got to build the platform for it. Mm-hmm. And that's just step one. Like we want to build a platform to set the yurt on, mm-hmm. but then we want to build a deck around it because this is California. So you don't need to have your shower and your kitchenette and your bathroom inside. Right. You know, all of those things are remote. Um, so we want to have a, a deck and some pavers that kind of connect it all. Right. But that stuff could take years to build too. So right. we want to just focus in on the yurt for now. Yeah. Um, no matter what company you go with, they kind of all go with the same process where you provide the platform to whatever diameter the yurt is. Right. Um, and then they provide the kit. Um, you know, modern yurts might have more updated materials, but the principles are the same as the traditional kind. We're uh-huh. still um, fighting the same forces, mm-hmm. compression and tension. So with the wooden walls of the expanding lattice, um, you stretch that around in a circle and you put rafters over the top of that. And 
the weight of the rafters pressing down and on the lattice, that's your compression. So you got to cancel that out with tension, which is a tension band hmm. that you put around the top of the walls. So that holds the walls in. Um, often there's another band up at the roof, uh -huh. right? And that like supports the opening and also supports the rafters. So the tension bands kind of support the, the roof rafters too. Um, so the weight of the roof under the rain and the wind and snow is compression pushing uh, outward and downward on the walls. Um, and they want to fall out, obviously. And then that gets canceled out by the tension of the cable. Uh, which keeps everything inward and upward. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's extremely wind resistant because uh, the wind can flow around it rather than getting caught up on all those corners. Yep. Um, and you don't need like ropes or stakes to hold it up right. like, with a tent. It's yep. all like self-contained, yep. right? It all like works to keep the yurt anchored to the ground. Like it wants to just blow down into the ground. Uh-huh. Well, and you also, there's another tension cable or something around the bottom, too, where it, like, affixes. There's a lip at oh. the bottom of the platform that then the edge of the yurt stretches down around, and you can tie, okay. tie it around the platform at the base, too, right? So the platform's a little elevated, and you can pull the sides of the yurt down around that, and there's another band that you cinch, and that hugs it against the pillar. Right. Or the platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Prevent like air from coming up underneath sure around the edges yeah, yeah yeah um yeah and the ring at the top of the roof can just be open um these days i think most people put a dome or something yeah. that you can open Glass and close keep the elements out um traditionally people put you know would have a fire or a stove in a yurt and mm -hmm. people do that now right yeah but I, if we had a wood stove which we are thinking about doing at some mm -hmm. point in the yurt um you want to put like an exhaust pipe out the side with flashing you don't want to just let it go up yeah. through the center of the right. i mean i know that that's theoretically kind of what it in part was designed for yeah. but better to just have an exhaust pipe from your stove directly outside it's not that tricky to modify and it's right. worth it yeah. yeah yeah i think some of the yurt companies offer like stove flashing oh cool for you know where the mm -hmm. tube meets the but you said that i think we can, can hack that just yeah make that definitely ourselves. Cut cool. it to size. Yeah. So very cool. I initially had this idea for a yurt a couple of years ago. Um, and I've kind of just been like hard selling it to you and uh -huh. your mom and Maury this whole time. Um, like how are you feeling about it right now? I'm on board. I think everybody's pretty much on board. There are a lot of concurrent projects mm -hmm. and requisite projects that kind of have to happen first. And right. I appreciate your patience with knowing that, like, the yurt's not going to happen in 2020, but it's definitely the next real structure. It comes before the dugout. In terms of timeline, like, I really want to prioritize catching water yeah. this winter. Yeah, and that's you got to dig that up before it starts raining. Yeah, and when, as long as you have the excavator, dig out for the dugout. Still not going to, like, cast to the walls or mm -hmm. fill it in. It's still going to be a long, a long road on the dugout. Right. But digging out those areas, lining the basin with some kind of plastic, mm -hmm. um, and doing all that before winter. And then, when it's cool and it's not 
uh, so brutal to be digging outside. Right. Dig some holes in the middle of winter when uh, sure, yeah. over for the year. Work on that. So you're, you're optimistic that we can have this up by April, huh? That's my goal. That's still my goal. I think we can do that over the winter. Build the platform. And that's kind of step one. Uh-huh. We'll build a temporary staircase up to the height of the platform. Yep. Um, just so we have access to the earth in the meantime, and then yep. take as long as we need to build the to deck. Build the around deck it. afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Of course, there's always the question of money. Like I said, it it's you know seven thousand, eight thousand dollars. It like is and isn't a lot of money. It is. It mm-hmm. is <laughs> for us. It definitely is. And probably like, like two thousand for the platform and the foundation and stuff. Yeah, because we also have to build the you know the wooden platform itself which mm-hmm. takes time and costs money for materials yeah you really think it'll be another thousand dollars thousand or two or two yeah. wow i don't know yeah i mean like right now we have six thousand dollars saved yeah. and that so needs to go to an excavator yet. and it yeah. needs to go to the platform and we got to keep paying the monthly the yeah on the land itself um so that's the I I know realistically the amount of work should be the thing that daunts me. Yeah. But it's the money that daunts me right mm-hmm. now because I know we're not quite there yet. But April twenty twenty one is a long time yeah. from now, so. And there's no way around needing a platform. We're building it about as cheap as we can. So. Yeah. I'm oh no, I don't want to scrimp on it. It's yeah. pretty important. It's the thing that the mm-hmm. whole yurt and furniture and people go on. So yeah. it needs to be well built. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll. Keep working on the platform and keep saving for the yurt itself. Yeah. There's, of course, always the question of fire. A yurt is a, obviously above ground fabric made, <laughs> fabric mm-hmm. and wood structure. So it definitely would burn immediately in a wildfire. But I don't think we can just not ever build any above ground yeah. structures because we're mm-hmm. afraid of fire, you know. At least it does take down pretty quickly. So if we had even the space of a day, mm-hmm. we could take it down and stash the pieces in the dugout maybe or somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's important to consider wildfire and to dig in when we can. But I don't think I'm going to let wildfires keep me from wanting a yurt. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a part of life. Yeah. And another reason, you know, you build something relatively cheap. Right. Like a yurt and, you know, remember the process, take good notes. Right. Odds are you're going to have to do it again someday. <laughs> right. So the next step is just going to be to dig, really. Yeah, I love digging. Ugh. I'm ready. I don't want to do supervisor. it, but I'm ready. You can keep me lubed up with lemonade and beer <laughs> and chiladas. Yeah. I want to I wanna dig, though, too. I mean, I don't want to, mm-hmm. but I want to feel like I'm a part of it from yeah. start to finish. Yeah. You can schlep dirt from from the holes over off to oh, the side. Oh, sure. I can be the wheelbarrow mistress. Or you can grade. Like, I can dig this dirt out really roughly and, like, throw it off to the side, and then you can level it out with a rake mm. um, and a flat shovel. Uh-huh. So it's, like, physically demanding mm-hmm. and a lot more zen. Sure. Um, although I find digging holes very zen, <laughs> busting up rocks yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But I think it'll be fun. I think you'll find a way to enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a lot about yurts, but I really wanted to talk about not just, you know, how they work and why we want one, but who made them and how they came to be and how white people in 2020 have never invented anything. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but we have a lot to learn about like robust sustainable living from those who have gone before us because they didn't have any choice but to live sustainably right and more and more you know as as climate change goes on as the world evolves we're really going to realize that we we need to rely on ourselves and know how to make the most of the land around us not even try to to exploit it for something that it isn't you got to exploit it for what it is <laughs> right and take care of it right yeah live in harmony with it not impose your will upon it yeah. i feel like that's a lot of what america and you know civilization does yeah I mean, don't pin it all on us it's true um that's sort of what we do as humans. yeah humanity we just sort of Im- mm-hmm. impose our will on creation and we're definitely doing that but I want. I don't want to do it to the exclusion of other living things. Yeah. I want to make them a part of it if we can. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that covers it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You're so good. I learned a lot. <laughs> I did too. This was good to research. Yeah. I'm glad that I, I took this opportunity. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Be safe out there. Love you. Bye. Sorry, I didn't know we were going.